everyone. Welcome to another episode of our She Speak HR podcast. So you've got Amy L today and I am delighted to be joined by Caroline Bagley, who has very recently joined our Manchester office. Um, and Caroline is an immigration specialist in the team. So hi, Caroline. How are you doing? Hi, Amy. I'm good, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on today. No problem. Please, pleased you can be here. So Caroline, before we go on to talk about our topic today, which is immigration themed, um, I have to ask you the question that we ask all of our guests that come onto the podcast, um, which is what is your favourite podcast? Okay, so I love podcasts. So this is quite a hard question because <laughs> I, I love loads of podcasts and I love them for different reasons. Um, but I would have to say the one that I listen to the most is Diary of a CEO. I'm yeah, not sure if you've Stephen yeah. Bartlett. Yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, <laughs> love it. So when I first saw it, I thought, oh, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to know about business tips and stuff. Yeah. But it's really not about that, is it? He has like honest, open, insightful conversations with just the yeah. best guests. Um, so yeah, that's my favorite. I love having a walk with a podcast on. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's great, and I agree. That's to be honest, one of my favorites as well. So yeah, on the same page with that one. No, that's great. Um, So I suppose coming back to today's episode, so it's part of our mini series we've been doing, um, which is kind of back to basics of key uh, HR processes. Um, And it's great, I guess, for newbies um, who are just joining the world of HR and finding their feet, but also hopefully is a bit of a a nice reminder for those who are more experienced and want a bit of a refresher on certain processes. So we're going to talk about right to work checks today. Um, and basically some of the key points that employers need to be aware of in relation to these checks. And in our first episode of this Back to Basics um, series, we did touch um, very lightly on right to work checks, just sort of highlighting the important points to consider when onboarding employees. But we're going to go into a little bit more detail today. Um, And I suppose why, just kind of start off, why is it vital that Um, employers carry out these checks and I mean first and foremost it's to make sure that they can uh, legally work in the UK before they employ them and whilst it's not necessarily um, a legal requirement it's important because an employer found to be employing migrant workers illegally may face a civil penalty of up to £20,000 per person um, if they're found to be employed illegally uh, by the employer so um, there's possibility of criminal liability too, which I'll see is quite serious. Um, that comes with a maximum prison sentence of five years or an unlimited fine or both. Um, and that's normally where the employer knows or has reasonable cause to believe um, that it's employing an illegal worker. So there has to be some actual knowledge um, there or reasonable cause to believe that the employer did know um, that they were working illegally. And I suppose in contrast, an employer will have what we call a statutory excuse, so a defence essentially against the payment um, of a civil penalty if it can show that it correctly carried out um, a specified right to work check prior to the commencement of the individual starting employment. I think that's a key point as well, that it has to be before they start employment to get that statutory excuse. Um, So in today's episode, we'll go into some further detail about how to correctly complete these um, checks. So, um, Caroline, I suppose, do you want to tell us a little bit more about how and when to conduct um, a right to work check? Yeah, thanks, Amy. So, I mean, as you said, it's absolutely vital for employers to protect themselves um, and they can do that by ensuring that they undertake proper right to work checks and that they do that before any new employee starts their role. 
we would always recommend conducting those right to work checks at the interview process or just after, but definitely before the first day of work, because that will just ensure that, you know, the right to work checks have done been done properly and there's no risk of the employee starting the job without a suitable check having been carried out. For example, even if an employee was to start work even just for a few hours and then it was identified that they didn't have a right to work, the employer would still be at risk of receiving a civil penalty in relation to that. So doing those checks before the employee arrives for their first day is definitely just the best way to protect yourself. It's also important for employees to understand that the requirement to do a right to work check applies to any employee. So regardless of their perceived nationality or immigration status, um, you really need to be careful to ensure that you apply a clear and consistent right to work check policy to all employees because that will help you to avoid or mitigate any claim of discrimination that might come from treating people unfairly. Unfortunately, it's quite a common misconception that these checks aren't necessary for British and Irish people because they have an automatic right to work in the UK based on their nationality, but that's not correct. The checks are needed for everyone. Now, there are different ways to complete the right to work checks depending on the person's status, and we'll look at those today. There's three options to consider. So online checks, manual checks, and also checks that are completed via a third party identity service provider that's known as an ISP. Um, do you want to start us off by looking at the online process and who can use this? Yeah, of course. And thanks, Caroline. I think you raise a really good point about the um, the perceived immigration status as well, because we've had many kind of organisations in the past say to us, well, we don't check um, individuals who are British or Irish nationals. And we say, okay, well, how do you know they're British and Irish yeah. nationals if you've not seen their right to work documentation? Um, and as you say, you have to be very, very careful that you're not discriminating um, against certain nationalities by almost picking and choosing who you carry out those checks on. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I suppose moving to, to look at online checks. So since the 6th of April last year, 2022, uh, the Home Office has required certain individuals to complete right to work checks uh, via the online right to work check service. So this online service applies to people who have been issued with a digital status and therefore have no physical documents to show. But it also does cover people who still hold at the moment a biometric residence permit, so BRP card, biometric residence card, BRC, uh, frontier worker permits, and also any other type of e-visa, basically. So the changes from 6th of April last year introduced this method as compulsory for these categories. So since that date, um, if you've been onboarding an employee and they're using um, either a digital status as their right to work or have a BRP or BRC or frontier worker um permit then you should not have accepted any physical documents relating to those um, as proof of right to work must have been done using the online service so these types of status I'd say probably make up the majority of those with immigration status in the UK um, so typically those who are non-British and Irish nationals and it means that online right to work check services um, is therefore usually the correct way for these checks to be completed and the best starting point I think we would say um, for clients if they're not sure. 
And I think it's probably worth pointing out that the changes from the 6th of April last year uh, do not apply retrospectively. I'm sure many employers are pleased to hear that. Um, So it means that if they've done a correct and suitable check prior to that date um, on the individuals that hold those types of statuses, uh, they do not need to be repeated. So we'd recommend that employers um, go back. They might want to check their right to work records, potentially carry out sort of an internal audit type exercise uh, from the 6th of April to ensure that the checks since then have been completed in the correct way uh, for those who are non-British and Irish nationals. Um, Because they can, whilst they might not have the statutory excuse because it's not been done prior to employment, it will still minimise and mitigate against any risk if they then do it the correct way. Um, and see and I guess make sure that everybody does have the right to work that they say they do. Yeah that's a really good point Amy. I mean unfortunately it's quite common to hear that employers weren't aware of these changes coming into the guidance last year. Um, We know that the Home Office aren't the best at communicating important information sometimes. So yeah going back through records, doing an internal audit, just making sure that your checks were done correctly Um, depending on what the guidance in place at the time required. It's just really helpful to make sure that you're properly protected. And if any issues come up, then you can take the relevant legal advice that you need on that point. So, you know, how to complete one of these online right to work checks? What are the steps that you need to do? Um, It involves two stages. So firstly, the employee has to obtain a share code and they can get that by logging into their own home office online account. Um, They then provide that share code to the employer who uses a similar but separate home office online service to check the employee's right to work. Now, it's quite simple to find these um, online services just through Google, type in something like share code right to work service, something like that. Um, Now, once the employer has put the share code in on their side, it will immediately generate a confirmation. And that will include information like the employee's photograph some of their personal details and their right to work in the UK. It'll also list any relevant conditions to their work. So maybe some people might have a limit on the maximum number of hours they can work per week, for example, students during term time, or there might be some roles that the person is not allowed to do. So it's really important that the employee carefully checks the confirmation that's produced checks that it relates to the person they want to employ and that it allows them to do the type of work that you want them to do. Um, Now, the check of the employee's identity can be done in person or by video call. And once the check is complete, the employer will just need to retain evidence of the check securely for the duration of their employment and then for a further two years after the employment has ended. And then they can just securely destroy this at that point. The new online service is a really welcome change for employers because it's quite simple to use. It gives an automatic and clear confirmation of the information that they need. And it saves the employer having to meet face to face with the prospective employee, which is really useful. Um, Now, there have been lots of reports of some technical issues with the service. So we've heard of people seeing a different person's photo when they log in or the wrong details or having their accounts deleted or even the system crashing. Um, One of my clients in the past did have an issue like this. He could only access um, previous right to work details even once he'd updated his visa. And we found it quite difficult to rectify that with the home office. Um, So in the future, we would hope that as the system 
rolls out further, that they improve the tech so you don't get these issues, but also that they improve the the tech support teams who are helping you rectify them. That's the hope. (laughs) Absolutely. And um, I know obviously part of the Home Office's kind of long-term strategy is to digitalize the system and make it a lot easier for for people to navigate and use so um, I assume that will be something that they probably will look into as part of that process Um, I suppose that kind of leads us on nicely to looking at what can be done uh, if an employee status cannot be checked via the online service Um, and in this scenario we would look to do um, what I would typically call the kind of old school manual right to work check, um, which you would basically complete instead. So this type of check uh, will be relevant predominantly to British and Irish nationals, um, unless the services of an IDSP are used, uh, which we'll touch on slightly later in the episode. But it's also relevant, I guess, just to note to those migrants who have a say, a more traditional type of status document. For example, they might have been granted indefinite leave um, to remain many years ago, and they've never upgraded their status document to a BRP card. Um, or if you've got a British or Irish national who do not have a valid passport, that you would have to do a manual check on their documents. You wouldn't be able to use an IDSP for that. So I suppose it's worth remembering that usually the online right to work check service will be the right process to use for non-British and Irish nationals. So you start there. But if that's not possible, then you would look to do a manual check um, as the next suitable alternative option. And I suppose it will be very much dictated by the documents that the individual has and that they're presenting to you as their proof of right to work. Um, So if I pass back to you, Caroline, do you want to talk us through how to conduct um, a manual right to work check? Yeah, of course. So manual check, um, the employer is going to need to check the original document that confirms the person's immigration status. So you can find a list of the acceptable documents within Home Office guidance. And it's important to check that the document that you're looking at and accepting as proof of right to work is on that list. Otherwise, your check isn't going to be sufficient and you won't establish the statutory excuse against a civil penalty if illegal working was to be found later. Um, When doing that check, the employer will need to be satisfied that the document is genuine and that it belongs to the employee and allows them to do the type of work that they're being offered to do. It's really important to understand that you have to be in possession of the physical document when you complete the check. So during um, the COVID-19 pandemic, there were temporary adjusted checks which allowed this to happen through video call but that ended in um, late 2022. So it's no longer a suitable way to check the document. You can, of course, still check the person's identity by way of a video call, but you just can't check the original document like this because, you know, you won't be looking at the original. You can't tell if it's a real document through a video. So it means that the prospective employee is either going to need to come and do the check with you face to face Or if that's not possible, they could send their document to you by post and you could check it and then return it to them by post. But of course, you know, that carries some risk of loss. Um, So it might not be something that people want to do. Um, Once you've checked that document, you just make a clear copy of the document, retain it with a record of the details of the check. We'd recommend, you know, recording who conducted the check, when, why it was conducted, And then you keep a copy of the document, um, again, securely during the employment and for a further two years before you can destroy it. 
Now, obviously, if you compare that to the online service, which is available for the majority of migrants, the manual service can be a bit of a burden because it does require you to meet face to face or to, you know, take possession of someone's original passport and return it carries risk of loss. So it, it can be tricky. And so it's meant that for British and Irish nationals who can't use the online service, a lot of employers have chosen to use this third party identity service provider to assist with those checks. So it might be a good time maybe for Amy, if you could go through what an IDSP can provide. Yeah, of course. Um, and I suppose this is the third option, obviously, we've we've mentioned today. So using an IDSP to carry out that right to work check. So um, it's worth noting that this option is only available for British and Irish nationals and involves employers paying um, a third party, so an IDSP, to provide identification Document validation technology, uh, an IDVT, so we, uh, the Home Office love their abbreviations and their terminology. Um, and basically that technology, they use it to complete the digital identity verification element of right to work checks. Um, and it has to, you can only use it for British and Irish citizens who hold a valid current passport or for Irish citizens, a valid ID card. Whereas with your manual right to work checks, you can obviously accept an expired passport for say a British or Irish citizen. So it's worth noting if you're wanting to use an IDSP, the individual, if they're purporting to be British or Irish, they need to have a valid passport for you to do that. Um, what this means is that the IDSP will be responsible for obtaining evidence uh, of the prospective employee's identity, checking it's valid, uh, that it belongs to the person who provided it. Um, and they do this by viewing a selfie photo, which the employee will upload to the system. Um, I suppose the service is helpful. It removes some of the burden on the employer to verify that the document is genuine, which can be difficult for people who, uh, I suppose, aren't familiar with what a genuine British or Irish passport could look like. However, it's really important for employers to understand that there are still steps required from them as part of the process. They're not just handing over total responsibility to the IDSP. Um, and I don't think the Home Office would ever have intended that either, that employers can kind of outsource their liability as such to a third party. I think the introduction of it was more just to aid from a process perspective and decreasing a burden slightly, but there is still that responsibility on employers. And I think there's been some confusion from employers on that point um, because it can be unclear at times in the guidance. And also there has been a lot of push and overselling of services from IDSPs, especially those IDSPs that that might also offer to do all pre-employment checks so not just right to work but they might do dbs checks as well um or credit checks etc so they offer that whole package which can suggest to an employer i think at times that they'll just go off and do everything for the employer and that's great the employer will get it back and it's all fine which is not the case um so the idsp can't confirm that the person who is arriving to work for you is the same person whose identity document um, that they verified through their IDVT process. So the employer needs to check that the person um, standing in front of them or by a video call is the person listed on the IDSP report um, and that is the person starting to work with them. So there is still that responsibility on employers. Um, they have to retain uh, a record of the positive check for the duration of the person's employment, also for two years after once employment ends, so the same as manual checks and checks using the online system. Um, so I suppose using an IDSP, it's a helpful way. It reduces some of the steps required from an employer, but 
doesn't completely absolve them of responsibility. And I think employers just need to be mindful of that if they are choosing to go down that um, option. Yeah, I mean, again, this is one of those things, I think, where the Home Office haven't communicated the details of what an IDSP can do well enough to the public and to employers. So it's definitely led to some confusion. Yeah, yeah, agreed. (laughs) Just kind of considering a final option. um, Now, this might be needed where the person's immigration status is a little bit more complex than just having a valid visa, valid proof of right to work. now, in those kind of scenarios, you can use the employing empl- employer checking service. This is helpful when someone's visa has expired, but they're still lawfully able to remain in the UK. So, for example, um, if a migrant has submitted an in-time application to extend their visa, or they've made an in-time appeal against a home office decision to refuse an application, um, Now, these people do have a continued right to live and work in the UK during the application or appeal process. But in either of those scenarios, neither a manual or an online check would would be possible because it would just come back and say no right to work. So in these circumstances, employers can use the employer checking service to check their employees' right to work. That online service can be found at a different website to the online service that we spoke about before. So I would suggest, you know, searching something on Google like employer checking service. It doesn't involve a share code or anything, um, but you will need to use the employee's details and then an application or an appeal reference number that's going to locate the person's records in the system. If the person does have ongoing right to work, then the service will generate a positive verification notice and then that can be retained as evidence of that ongoing right to work. Now, the verification that they get, it's only valid for six months. And so after that expires, it must be repeated if the individual's visa has not yet been granted. Unfortunately, some people with complex immigration cases, they can see their applications or their appeals take over a year to be resolved So it is really important that employers are aware of this and that they diarise the expiry of the ECS check and then make sure that they complete a further check in advance of that expiry just to make sure that they continue to be protected. Unfortunately, the employer checking service is not an automatic service like the online service we spoke about before. It can take, they say five days but in reality it can take about one to two weeks to receive verification so just be mindful of that and make sure that you're doing it in enough time um just a final point as well um as a general rule for employers just need to be aware that if somebody has a time limited uk status then you always need to be mindful that you need to diarize the relevant expiry date and then complete an updated right to work check um, before their leave expires That's great. Thank you. And yeah, the employer checking service, I think is quite a useful tool, which I know many of our clients are aware of and do use when they've got Mm. um, individuals already employed by them whose visa expiry date is basically coming up and they obviously need to make an application to extend their leave to remain in the UK. Um, And I think an interesting point with this system is I think the Home Office guidance itself says um, that actually an employer should wait 
at least 14 days, two weeks after the employee submitted their new application, just because there's a bit of a lag, I believe, in the systems talking to each other. Um, So, yeah. yeah. So if you sort of do it before that 14 days, it might be that you get a negative verification notice, um, which would suggest that that individual doesn't have the right to work when actually they have submitted their application in time. It's just that the systems haven't spoken to each other yet. Um, So I think that's always something employers should be slightly mindful of. Um, And I suppose my only other tip in relation to employer check-in service, and again, part of the guidance is um, if an employer is to use the service, they need to be reasonably satisfied that the person has submitted their application in time. Um, So before the expiry of their current visa. And as you said earlier, Caroline, it would be seeing evidence of that a unique application number um, potentially I guess we would normally say can we see the email um, from the home office confirming your submission of your application and it's been paid for etc just so you've got that evidence um, and you know that it's that employee's application and they're not trying to pass off their brother or sister or somebody else's application as their own just to try and get over that right to work hurdle um but no that's great thank you so i think that probably wraps us up for today so it's quite i say we say back to basics in these episodes and we do end up going into quite a lot of detail um but i think this topic in particular it does lend itself to to having that detail and it can be quite a tricky process at times so um i suppose if you're listening now and you do have any um scenarios in terms of right to work and you're not quite sure how to approach it or you've been presented with some uh documents that don't quite look right or don't look like the normal type of right to work documents you see don't hesitate to to get in touch really because we um we would be happy to to assist and talk you through that um again we've got our email so she speak hr at shoesmith.co.uk so any questions comments please do just drop us a line um and we'll be back for uh, for another episode soon so thanks caroline for joining hopefully um been a nice experience for your first podcast i'm sure we'll have you back soon oh thanks for having me amy yeah i'd love to come back on <laughs> perfect no worries cool thanks all see you next time Thanks, bye.